Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's June 2020, and we're still in COVID-19 quarantine, so we join each other via Zoom to bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listener, Suero, writes, Hi, guys. I want to write in and let you know how much I enjoy the podcast. I end up listening to most episodes twice, once to fall asleep as I work overnight, and a second time to listen to it in full with your commentary. I look forward to hearing more episodes. I wanted to put in a suggestion for two shadow episodes, Horror and Wax and The Wig Makers of Doom Street. For today's podcast, I chose The Wig Makers of Doom Street. Because, come on, it's called The Wig Makers of Doom Street. It's practically a classic already. The Shadow debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting System September 26th, 1937, starring Orson Welles in the title role. Based on the popular pulp magazine of the same name, the Shadow radio series followed the crime-fighting exploits of Lamont Cranston and his friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane. Cranston used his power to cloud men's minds to transform himself into the invisible Avenger known only as... The Shadow. The Wig Makers of Doom Street stars Brett Morrison, the third actor to voice The Shadow. Morrison took over the role from William Johnstone in 1943, bringing a youthful jocularity to Lamont Cranston and a policeman-like sense of law and order to The Shadow. His first season on the show featured an emphasis on mad science and horror, starting with his inaugural story, The Gibbering Things. Morrison left the series at the end of 1943, but returned a year later. He was the last and long running voice of the shadow, remaining in the role until the series ended in 1954. Ten years later, Morrison recorded his final performance of the shadow for a record entitled The Official Adventures of the Shadow. The Wig Makers of Doom Street was written by frequent shadow scribe Frank Kane. Before working on The Shadow, Kane penned scripts for Gangbusters, Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, The Fat Man, and Nick Carter. His stories focused on the criminal underworld and the strange characters who operated on the fringes of the law. The Wig Makers of Doom Street features a recurring character of Kane's own creation, criminal informant and unapologetic alcoholic, Adolphus Q. Poindexter. While working on The Shadow, Kane began writing a series of best-selling mystery novels featuring tough guy, private eye Johnny Liddell. Although largely forgotten today, his Johnny Liddell novels sold in the multi-millions and were translated into 17 languages. Kane's experience in the hard-boiled detective genre also earned him writing gigs on several 1950s television series, including Special Agent 7, The Investigator, and Mike Hammer. Kane continued to write Johnny Liddell novels until his death in 1968. And now let's travel back to November 28, 1948, and listen to The Wig Makers of Doom Street, starring Brett Morrison as The Shadow and Grace Matthews as Margot Lane. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
of men. The shadow knows. <laughs> Have you ever thought about what happens within a family overseas that knows only hunger day after day? Parents live in desperate frustration, knowing their children are not receiving proper nourishment and are still unable to provide for them. And the children find it hard to understand why they should not receive the food their bodies crave. This frustration is working today among the millions of hungry families in war-devastated areas. Care food packages going into these homes bring more than just the wholesome food that gives energy and health. They bring cheer and hope. They help families in the important work of reconstruction of their lives and countries. Send the care food package today. Send ten dollars to Nonprofit Care, New York. That spells C A R E Care, Fifty Broad Street, New York Four, New York. Again, Care, Fifty Broad Street, New York Four, New York. Now the shadow. <laughs> The shadow, who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret, the hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, The Wig Makers of Doom Street. It is almost midnight, and in the long deserted theatrical district of the city, the dim lights throw a yellow glow on the dark, wet pavements. Two figures walk along the deserted street, one a thin, gentle old man. The other a girl, young, pretty, but shabbily dressed. We're almost there. This is our street, my dear. Dark, isn't it? Well, not many people live on Doom Street anymore. The old theaters and costume shops closed up years ago. Come along, my dear. But your wife won't, won't she object to your bringing a total stranger into the house? Oh, nonsense. Matilda will be delighted. She enjoys doing things for nice girls like you. Come along. She must be a wonderful woman. Oh, she is. She is. But you see for yourself. Here we are. I'll let her know that we're here. Come in, Wilbur. Wilbur Chatfield, where have you been? You've given me such a fright. Who have we here, Wilbur? This is Frieda, Matilda. The poor girl is a stranger in town. Has no friends. No place to stay. Why, you poor dear. Come in. Come in. Thank you. Oh, what a nice little room. You must be tired and cold. Wilfred, make Frida some tea and maybe a little brandy. Of course, my dear. Of course. Thanks a lot. I didn't know there were people like you. I've been alone and... And frightened, I think. Well, you're not alone anymore, and you'll never be frightened again. Here, take your hat off. Mm-hmm. There. Oh, what beautiful blonde hair. And so long. Thank you. 
Yes, Doctor, it is. Nothing like a spot of tea to cheer you up. Oh, I can use it. Careful now, it's very hot. Good. You do this often? Take girls in like this, honey? As often as you can, my dear. Well, and I have no kin of our own. We like to help out people in trouble. How long? Your pardon. <laughs> well, don't worry your little head about it. Here, lean back. Be comfortable. Warm, so long ago I was warm. Well, Wilson, we'd better get started. Perhaps you'd better feel her pulse, just to be sure. Yes. Well, Matilda? She's dead. Splendid. Splendid. That new medicine is really wonderful. So quick and painless. Everything prepared in the basement. Oh, yes, I made a place for her to rest this morning. I think she'd be very comfortable. Fine. You take care of the things in the basement and I'll get right to work. I'll be right back, my dear. Oh, such beautiful hair. Such beautiful long blonde hair. I'm sure it'll be the very nicest wig we ever made. Not too busy to talk to us, Commissioner. Busy? Of course I'm busy. I can always find time for you two. What's on your mind, Cran? Lamont has another one of his hunches, Commissioner. Oh, I might have known. What is it this time, Cran? Well, I was reading this morning's paper about the disappearance of Frida Hurley, a little blonde girl from 8th Street. What's so exciting about that? Happens all the time. Girls come on hoping for a career. Don't make the grade. They're too stubborn to go home and admit defeat. Yes, I know, Commissioner, but this is only one of several similar cases during the past month. All blondes all disappeared, all from the same section of the city. Could be a coincidence, you know. And if it weren't coincidence? Oh, it could be a number of things. Suicide, for instance. Those disappearances aren't necessarily connected. Well, then you have considered the possibility that they are. I mean, of course you yeah. have. You think it's suicide, Commissioner? That's one of the possibilities, Margot. But just the same, we're checking several angles. Well, in that case, you won't need my help. We'll run along. Okay, Carson. Come in any time you do. Glad to see you. Goodbye, Commissioner. Goodbye. Hello, Lamont. Satisfied? No, neither is Weston, Margot. There's more behind these disappearances than a series of suicides. What could it be? Robbery's out of the question. The girls are almost telling. Police are handicapped in a case like this. The famous six of formal procedures. We don't have to. What's intended to be? Well, I intend to see our old underworld friend. Adolphus Q. Poindexter. Not that weird little old man. If there's anything behind these disappearances, I have a feeling that Poindexter will know about it. <laughs> Places. I've never seen such a dive. And the characters. Why, darling, you'll have the proprietor's feeling. He thinks he caters to an exclusive clientele. It's exclusive, all right. Looks like you can't get in unless you've served 20 years or more. Why, well, I'm... here's our friend himself. Hello, Mr. Poindexter. Oh, my very dear friend, Mr. Cranston. I'm a lovely Miss Lane. Well, how nice, how very nice. Hello, Mr. Poindexter. <laughs> well, 
and what's this? Why, how very thoughtful. My favorite refreshment. Oh, I didn't expect this. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Ah, must refreshing. <laughs> I need some help, Mr. Poindexter. Yeah? Trying to find some connection between a series of girls' disappearances. You've heard about the wave of disappearances lately? Uh, vaguely, yes, vaguely. Uh-huh. Glasses seem to hold less and less, it seems. Try mine, it's full. Why, how charming. Oh, but I wouldn't think of it, but... Oh, but of course you want me to. Well, anything to oblige. <clears throat> the missing girls, Mr. Pondexter. Uh, girls, girls. But, oh, yes, 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 yes. Of course, the, the ones that disappeared. You're all blondes, according to the paper, and all penniless. Uh, uh, you've, uh... You've met Simon Ferret? Uh, no, of course not. Not a very nice person, Simon Ferret. But you should meet him. You think he's involved in the girls' disappearances? Mm, could you say? Unsavory, completely disreputable fellow. Uh, <coughs> oh, oh, pardon. Uh, dryness of the throat, you know. Uh, dry mine. I haven't touched it. Why, thank you. <coughs> uh, girls all disappeared from the same section of the city, correct? That's right. Around the deserted theater district? That's right. There's no theatrical warehouse near Schumann Alley. Hardly ever used anymore. In the rear of the warehouse is an office. Simon Ferret lives in it. Think you'll find it interesting to talk to him. Very interesting. All I wanted to know. Thank you, Mr. Poindexter. Come, Margot. <coughs> You're uh, quite welcome. Uh, oh, uh, Mr. Cranston. Yeah? Uh, didn't you forget something? Hmm? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. I'll arrange for another round of uh, throat moisture on my way out. <coughs> Why, it's Mr. Ferret. Come in. Come in. Well, for it, Mr. Ferret. Put on some tea. Never mind the tea. You were supposed to have something for me tonight. You got it? Yes, and he was until you see it. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Wilford, bring me the wig. You are, my dear. But... That's another blonde one. I told you I didn't want any more blonde ones. But isn't it beautiful? Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. But from now on, they got to be redheads and brunettes. they got all kinds of outlets, see? Costumes, hairdressers. They think your stuff's okay, best they've ever seen, but you got to mix up the colors. Yes, but I... Well, huh? All right, you tell that. Yeah. Two hundred. That's an awful lot to pay for a week. But you make a little profit, too, don't you, Mr. Ferris? I do all right. I remember, no more blondes. We'll remember. Won't they, Wilford? Now, look, Gramps. You get me the kind of merchandise I want. Maybe I'll drop a few hints about you two. Hints? Drop a few hints to whom? Well, the police, maybe. What? Now, Wilford, Mr. Ferris is right. From now on, we'll make a special effort to get what you want. I thought you'd see it my way. I'll be back tomorrow night. Oh, uh... I'd hate to see you go back on your word. <laughs> Bye now. What an unpleasant man. Why, I should have insisted that he leave when he adopted that tone with us, Matilda. Now, Wilford, we must control our temper. Hacking us with the police. Why, that's ridiculous. Wilford, when you're in commerce, you must deal with all kinds. Now, I think you'd better leave on your next assignment. But, Matilda, no, And I... don't forget, Wilford. Brunette. Well, are you sure to be happy if I see any so very hard? 
Well, that's the only way we can meet our friend Sarah, Margot, and I'm very anxious to make his acquaintance. That would be a draw. I'll delight him. Probably. I'll see him. Sarah, that's Uh, what do you want? Who are you? My name is Mount Cranston. My friend's name. What do you want here? You sound nervous, Mr. Ferret. You needn't be. We're not police. Police? Uh, why, why should I be afraid of the police? Is it allowed to be operating a legitimate business in this part of town, is it, Mr. Ferret? So the rent's cheaper here, so what's it to you? Besides, this is a good location for what I sell. What kind of merchandise do you deal in, Mr. Ferret? Friends, I don't know what you want, but you're in the wrong place. Now, you better get out fast. If I were you, I'd be a little more cooperative. If it's a turn name, I'd like to know about some of your enterprises. You're fishing, mister. You're bait show. I'm a legitimate operator. Yeah? Well, what's your interest in the three girls that have disappeared in the past few weeks? Three blonde girls. Three blonde? What about it, Ferris? I... I don't know what you're talking about. But you do have some connection with them. Now, uh, look, mister, you better get caught. I'm not you're going right now. And I got a permit to use it. How do you act smart and blow, or do I have to... Okay, Ferris. You got a point there. We'll go. Then don't come back. We'll be seeing you, Ferris. Come on. But we did, Margot. We accomplished exactly what we set out to do. We did? How? The minute I mentioned the missing blondes, Ferret bit. So? So, he must be either tied up with their disappearance, or he's working for someone who is. And I think we scared him enough to send him running to the real dead. All we have to do is follow. Okay, okay. You told me there was a place I could sleep tonight. Where is it? My wife's and my home is right down in this next corner, my dear. Down this block. What kind of a deal is this, anyway? I told you, my dear. My wife, Matilda, runs a little refuge for girls who've been, well, uh, unfortunate. Yeah, that's me, all right. I had nothing but tough luck since I hit this town. Of course, my dear. Now, come on. Come on, this way. Hey! Let go of my arm. Who you pulling? I, I beg your pardon. I, I just don't have to keep my dear wife waiting. I don't get it. Why should you and your wife care about me or my kind? Well, yeah. What? Uh, nothing. Nothing, my dear. Here we are. Shall we go in? I changed my mind. But you mustn't, my dear. Uh, you must. Get your hands off me. Let's Go on me, I... Please, my dear, now don't raise your Let voice. Let me go or I'll raise the rope. Raise Get your voice. hands off me. Get your hands off me. Stop. Stop. Quiet. Stop. 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 She struggled, Miss Jordan. I, I didn't want her to be heard, and I, I was just trying to keep her from screaming. Wilford, how unkind of you. I've told you so often you must be gentle with these girls. Now look what you've done. This one is dead. <laughs> Return to the shadow in just a minute. Nowadays, no one questions the fact that public education is one of the cornerstones, perhaps the cornerstone, of a successful democracy. 
Unfortunately, it's also the cornerstone of a successful dictatorship. As far back as 1647, before there even was the United States of America, the Massachusetts colony began establishing a public education system. But only 50 years later, over in France, Louis XIV, one of the greatest despots of all time, signed an ordinancy requiring regular attendance at school. Our own Thomas Jefferson placed his hope for democracy in a growing education. But Hitler, too, knew there was no possible future for Nazi rule without compulsory education. Which is just a reminder that the word education can mean all things and anything, can lead to free thought or captive thought. And whether you're a parent of school children or not, it's up to you as an American citizen to keep our system of public education democratic and strong. The schools belong to you and me. Let's be sure they're good. And now, back to the shadow. Lamont Cranston and Margot Lane are investigating a series of strange disappearances. In each case, the girl has been blonde, penniless, and friendless. Suddenly, there's a strange break in the pattern, and Lamont and Margot go to police headquarters and Commissioner Weston. Well, I see you've read of the new disappearances in that same district, Cranston. Another girl, Commissioner. Only this time a brunette. Exactly. Breaks the pattern, doesn't it? You still think they're suicide, Commissioner? I guess not, Margot. Too many coincidences involved. What are you trying to do, Commissioner? I'm thinking of throwing a cord in the men around the district. They'll filter in. There'll be no publicity or fanfare. That way we won't scare off the real operators if there are any. Commissioner, I have a favor to ask. Give me a couple of hours on this case before you move in. What do you know about this, Grant? Nothing, but I do suspect a lot. If I'm right, I think we can crack this racket tonight. Well, it can't hurt. Try. Our plan doesn't go into effect till midnight. That's all the time I need, Commissioner. be so sure that Ferret will contact the real brains behind the racket tonight. What else can he do, Margot? If you don't scare into him, you'll have to report it to the others. Suppose he falls. I don't think so, Margot. I think the shadows are his. Head up, What do we do? Turn the corner. Come on. Must have this alley. I've never noticed this here. Oh. Doomed. We're in luck, Margo. How? It's a dead end. Ferret will have to come this way when he leaves. When he does, we'll be here to meet him. Why, Mr. Ferret, you startled me. Why, what's happened? You look so okay. Where's Wilson? Oh, Mr. Ferret. Why, I didn't expect you to worry. What about the wigs? I got one for you. A nice brunette Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it, Mr. I need two. Be patient, my dear Mr. Fedder. Wilford must have time. We haven't got time. I just got an order for another brunette job. I'm going to fill it and then I'm getting out. Getting out? I'm going back to shoveling hot cars or something. This racket's getting too cozy. Cozy? What do you mean? The cops, private eyes, somebody's wise. I need another wig, Wilford. How long will it take? Next week? Now, look, we haven't got that much time. I want that wig tomorrow. I never saw you so excited, Mr. Fedder. Oh, I don't know how I ever got mixed up with a couple of nuts like you. 
Oh, look, there's a private eye called Lamont Cranston on my tail. He and a gal named Lane were at my office. He's got a line on those missing Danes. Well, Wilford, this is no time to argue. Mr. Fetter gives us such good vices for our wigs, and he needs one more. I can't do it. Not by tomorrow, Mr. I'm getting that wig tomorrow. The police are getting tipped off to you, both of you. I'll be back. You better have the merchandise waiting for me. I don't think Ferris will be very long, Margot. He seems... Maybe he can now. I don't think he suspects he was following. Take the chair, all right. Back into the shadows. I'm not to see it. Stop him. He's making a break for us. I'll handle him, Margot. What about me? Get a cab. Go straight home. I'll call you as soon as I can. Ferris, he's getting away. He won't, Margot. I think the shadow can outrun our friend. Start walking. That's the third cab with a fare in the last ten minutes. Good morning. Oh, oh, you startled me. Are you Miss Lane, Mr. Cranston's friend? Yes, I'm Margot Lane. Thank heaven. Mr. Cranston asked me to find you. I'm Wilfred Chatfield. My wife and I are old friends of Mr. Cranston. Lamont wanted me? He just phoned. He wanted you to wait at my home, right down here. Where is Lamont? He said he was very busy. He called just a second ago and asked me to look for him. I don't understand. Mr. Cranston couldn't wait to explain. He merely said to tell you that it would not be safe for you to go home now. I see. Well, all right. Where is your house? Just a few steps more. There we are, Miss Lane. Yes, Matilda. I had wonderful luck. I found Mr. Cranston's friend, Miss Lane. Oh, come in, my dear. Come in. Thank you, Mr. Chapman. What a nice little room. I'm so glad you like it. Oh, Wilford, what will Miss Lane think? Letting her stand here, aren't you? Bring some tea and a, a spot of brandy. Right away, my dear. Sit here, Miss Lane. Mm-hmm. Let me take your hat. There. Oh, my, what beautiful hair. And brunette. Thank you. Did did Lamont say when he'd be here? Uh, right away, my dear. It won't be long. Nothing like a steaming pot of tea that'll chase the chills out of your bones. Thank you, Wilford. I'll pour for Miss Lane. Now, there you are, my dear. That'll do the trick. Mm. Thank you. Nice and warm, just like the room. Mm. It was wonderful. Lucky for us, there were no taxes. Hey, Miss Lane? Lucky for me. Oh, oh. oh I take your pardon. I, I don't know why I should be so sleepy. You must have had a trying day. Oh. I know it's unforgivable, but I to keep my eyes open. Well, close your eyes, my dear. Oh, that's it. Relax. Oh. Choke on, Lamont. Come find me. Sleep. <coughs> we must hurry, Wilford. Get things ready in the basement. We don't have the time. I'll do it here. But Matilda... I'll do it here, Wilford. Matilda, she isn't dead. It doesn't matter. We haven't time to waste. Well, well that wouldn't be right, Matilda. We've never done it. Why, they were still alive. The rest were different. Don't you see, Wilford? This one is a spy from the police. But we can't do it to her yet. 
She's not dead. I can do it, and I will. No, Matilda, what no. The... Who's that? Don't answer it, Robert. Matilda. Don't answer it. Somebody's coming in. Who is it? <laughs> Who's laughing? Who is it? What do you want? Wait. That's all I want, just wigs. Four beautifully crossed wigs. Three blonde and one brunette. We have no wigs here. No, Matilda. Quiet, I not only want the wigs, but I want their original owners. Owners? <laughs> but they're resting in the basement. Why, then? Shut up, Wilford. Can't you see his picture? The dead never rest, Wilford. Listen. Matilda. I hear them. I hear them coming. Wilford, be quiet. Can't you hear them coming, Matilda? Yes, listen, Matilda. The girls, you hear them? They didn't rest. You said that they would. You said they would. Quiet and crazy. Oh. Wilford knows the dead never rest, Matilda. The girls are just outside the door, Matilda. They'll be coming in. Oh. It can't be. It can't be. But it is, Matilda. They're here to claim you both right now. Open up to the end of the wall. But I don't mind admitting you gave me a real fright on this case, Margaret. I gave myself one, too. When I came in that room and saw you out there in that chair, I thought I was too late. The most reassuring feeling in the world is when I felt your fingertips on my clothes. Well, I had to be sure you were all right. The minute I was convinced you were only dope, I was ready to go to work on them. How did you manage? I suspected the little old man wasn't what he pretended to be. So when they offered me tea, I managed to spill most of it. I did have to drink some, enough to knock me out. Thank heavens you had the foresight. But how did you manage to get back so fast? When I caught Simon Ferret, I got the truth out of him. I called Weston and headed for the Chatfields. <sighs> I'm certainly glad that case is over. Yes, so am I, Margot. Well, I think we'd better stop somewhere and get uh, something to pick you up a little. Fine. I'd love it. Anything but a cup of hot tea. At least a dozen times a day, you and I ask the same question of everyone we meet. The question, how are you? Yep, we never seem to find time to wait for the answer. Maybe we're afraid to wait because we know it won't be too encouraging. In fact, with some seven and a half million of our neighbors suffering from the greatest strippers of all time, arthritis and rheumatism, it can't be. True, they suffer in silence because science, as yet, has not discovered any specific cure. They are helpless and will remain so unless you and I and everyone within the sound of my voice does something to help those who cannot help themselves. So send your contribution to Arthritis, Box 1200, General Post Office, New York 1, New York. That's Arthritis, Box 1200, General Post Office, New York 1, New York. This story is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. All names and places are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Listen again next week. Same time, same station, 
when the shadow will again demonstrate that the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow does. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, we bring you another strange and thrilling adventure in the shadow's daring battle against the forces of evil. The part of Lamont Cranston was played by Brett Morris and Margot by Grace Matthews. The program came to you from New York. Suppose you're driving along peacefully and suddenly one of those extra loud horns is blasted at you by an impatient driver who's in a hurry to get you uh, around you or make you hustle up. Well, don't let them rattle you. Let them blow their horns. Let them pass you. Let him have the right of way if need be. Let him live and keep yourself by. This is the Mutual Dominee Broadcasting System. That was The Shadow and the episode The Wig Makers of Doom Street here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that came to us from our listener, Swero. Uh, I got that name right, correct, Joshua? Sounds right to me. It's how it's spelled. <laughs> okay. We always love suggestions for The Shadow. Uh, you probably have already figured out, Swero, that we all love The Shadow, but we're also not afraid to go after The Shadow. <laughs> we can take the shadow. We'll go after him. I've had my mind clouded before. <laughs> <laughs> the shadow is just like alcohol. <laughs> kind of is. What if the uh, shadow just clouded men's judgment? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. You had the two shadow episodes in front of you from the listener, Joshua. Why did you choose that suggestion and not the other one? Why did you go with? And I know you said it in the beginning because of the name, right? <laughs> did you even I think, listen to the other one? <laughs> I actually did listen to the other one. And I just think this is a better episode of The Shadow, frankly. I think The Shadow is very formulaic. And most of the pleasure in The Shadow are the small details and the slight subversions of formula while still staying within the formula. And I think this episode has that in spades. What was the other one about? It was about a horror in wax. <laughs> H-O-R-R-O-R <laughs> in wax. Yes. <laughs> W-A-C-K-S. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it because we'll probably talk about it in like 15 years. <laughs> we're eventually going to run out of old time radio shows if we continue this podcast. At some point, we're going to be doing all the Sergeant Preston of the Yukons and analyzing them <laughs> in our 80s. You are absolutely right, though. What a fascinating title for an episode. So alluring just in what? I've got to take umbrage with the city planners of wherever they live to actually name one of the streets Doom. You're just asking for that street to fail when you name it. That is nominative determinism of some kind. It just becomes <laughs> true. <laughs> you can't just name it Doom Street and hope for the best. That's mean. That's like naming your son Simon Ferret. <laughs> Obviously, he's going to become a criminal. <laughs> right? Well, it's, I mean, it's a dead end, right? So it just kind of, <laughs> instead of putting a dead end sign, just call it Doom Street. And like, where does this yeah. go? It's Doom Street. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's talk about the beginning of this. The overall feel that I got from this episode, and, and I just want to get a reaction to this, it feels very much like the Sweeney Todd story. Yeah, there's a it, almost Victorian Penny Dreadful vibe of mm. grave robbing, or not grave robbing, but like harvesting body parts from victims. And I was wondering if either of you two, who tends to do more research than I do, looked into if wig harvesting was like a real thing that people did. I did. It's still something that is highly valuable and often stolen is wigs and extensions using human hair. I also found a couple articles. They might be urban legends, but as late as 2013, 2015, people stealing people's hair at gunpoint, finding someone with long hair. And we're talking like in third world countries and cutting it off and selling it. Again, whether that's true or not, it is still alive, at least as an urban legend. That was one of my notes. So killing women for their hair to make wigs is lucrative. It's so lucrative that murder tips the scales. What are they getting, a million dollars a wig? And- <laughs> Did he say like 200 for the wig wholesale, basically? Can I ask then why people aren't growing their hair long, shaving it off themselves and bringing it to a guy and saying, here, let me have a lot of money? Why? Well, this is making you wonder if there was uh, like some health conditioning around, if, if there was a lot of vanity that needed to be serviced by wigs. Why wouldn't they just ask first, hey, before I kill you, because we're going to, if you say no, but could we just shave your head and have th- that? Why are they killing them? That's- well, I think they are deranged, clearly. There's even a moment when Margot at the end has passed out from just sipping a little bit of the tea. Matilda wants to take her hair now and Wilford is horrified but but she's not dead you can't just take her hair so <laughs> so it's barber technology they haven't figured out how to cut hair without actually scalping someone yeah without decapitating <laughs> <laughs> they are playing on the trope of evil crazy old people right this is back to fairy tales it reminded me of hansel and gretel kind of they're luring people in they're not cannibalizing them but they are using the body parts <laughs> to uh, profit from well and that's why i said sweeney todd i mean it's a, mm-hmm. a couple yeah. that's luring people in to make whatever muffins out of them whatever they did i don't know they're making yeah, some blend of commerce and horror yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. And a couple, a deranged couple who's taking sadistic pleasure on top of it from it. I think that's what Joshua's saying is, why aren't they just asking him? Because on top of everything else, they like what they're doing. Sure, they could just ask for their hair. Hey, I'll give you a 50% of what we make. Can I just shave your head? And that would probably be a lot easier. And then I didn't literally think that while listening of, is the poison they use to kill someone so expensive or so cheap versus paying someone for their hair? Of Like, I could pay you, but the poison's a lot cheaper. Are you guys really trying to apply this much logic to an episode of The Shadow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have you listened to this podcast? <laughs> All right. I just yeah, think it does imply pretty- that we're thinking like, how much money could I make? Yeah, there's a, <laughs> it's a loophole in the Fair plot, enough. Joshua. Like either A, we're supposed to believe that they are just loons and take great sadistic pleasure in killing these people, or they are business-wise really bad at their jobs. And Tim's <laughs> right. Like, you might be cheaper to not buy poison to just give them 20% of what you, Hey, we make 200 bucks for your hair. I'll give you 30 bucks. You'd be bald for a month. What do you say? Yeah, I think we are boiling it down because I think that's a legitimate question to ask because I think part of the scary suspense is the fact that they're nuts, right? (laughs) That's how I took it, yes. I mean, they are taking pains to paint them as these sweet, gentle, civil 
elderly people being very polite and then snapping into murder mode and then going back to politeness. And to me, that says we're really crazy. Yeah, it really does evoke like the Hansel and Gretel, obviously dangerous, nice people you'll find who are poor, so you can't trust them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's important that these are people who are old, out-of-work theatrical people in this dead theater district taking advantage of young, disillusioned theater people. I mean, after COVID-19, guys, this is our future. (laughs) (laughs) This is what every theater district is going to look like, and we will just be old, crazy people stealing young actors' hair just to survive. I made the mistake as an actor of moving to next street. Speaking of, I just brought up loopholes, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna run through these really fast I, because I just want Joshua to tell me why I'm wrong, and then we can move on and be <laughs> friends again. The guy leaves, and he's like, "Oh no, he's getting away." He says, "Well, I'll turn into the shadow," and he says, "Well, you know why? As the shadow, I can outrun him." Did I miss something? When he turns into the shadow, does he get faster? Is that a thing? I think it was a dramatic superhero line, but I knew you were going to bring it up. (laughs) My notes actually say, is Eric going to complain he doesn't have super speed? (laughs) I've been a comic book fan my whole life. I got this. So if he's running after him, just as Lamont Cranston, people are always going to be like, hey, Lamont, can I borrow some money? Like every five feet, people are going to want to talk to him. As the shadow, he can move invisibly. You're right. You move faster invisibly because less people say, hey, how's it going? (laughs) And Simon Ferret can't see him, so he's not going to speed up because he's being chased by somebody. All right. So I'm assuming the shadow perfectly matches his footsteps to Simon Ferret so he can't be heard. Okay. This is why I'm bringing up these plot holes so you can fill them in, and you just won that one. Good job. (laughs) How did the crazy couple know when the other guy that's demanding they find, you know, wigs for him, how did they know where to find Margot Lane and who she was? Like he said, oh, this guy Lamont Cranston showed up. Next thing we know, he's found Margot Lane. How did they know who she was and all of that information? Got it. It's an abandoned theater district with no one in it, and Margot Lane is dressed to the nines and stands out like a sore thumb. Um, And he's been told they are snooping around, a man and a woman, and he has their names. So, done. He never said her name was Margot Lane. I was pretty sure he did. Did he? Yep. I went back and listened because, again, I knew you would ask. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for you, Eric. Here's next one. He was still wearing her name tag from work. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. You ready? Here's your next one. He comes in the house. As the shadow knocking on the door, gets in the house, and then he's like, oh, the dead girls are coming back to get you, and it turns out it's just the cops coming to get him. So he told the cops that those people are there. Why did he have to become the shadow at all? Because it's an awesome moment. He gets to appear as the shadow and torment these people and make them think all the dead people they have killed are coming back to life to get him. I love it because it's a pointless, gleeful shadow moment. I'll give you this one. It's because... First, he wants to get in there invisibly and check to see if Margo is okay. True. That's the first thing he does before he does anything else to these people. Then once he knows, like, okay, she's alive, I'll start terrorizing these people. Joshua, your explanation actually then leads us to, it's more of an Orson Welles era shadow episode because he's just taking sick, twisted pleasure in uh, screwing with uh, criminals' brains. It's a weird moment that isn't a very Brett Morrison shadow character. Yeah, it did feel like a throwback to older style Shadow, and I liked it for that reason. As a conversational pivot point, 
This did seem very much like a, a holdover from those days, which I very much liked, both in the behavior of Lamont slash Shadow and just the plot is kind of stuff happens and no one works too hard at it, but it's so evocative. There's the this great mood that, that I love. Yeah, there's I, a little bit of film noir to it. Even some of the early narration, uh, like the opening lines, it's almost midnight, and in the long, deserted theatrical district of the city, the dim lights throw a yellow glow on the dark, wet pavement. I mean, that's film noir right there, radio noir. I couldn't agree more uh, with both of you. With both of you. I like this episode because it's very throwback to early years of Shadow, where the Shadow isn't as jovial and, what did you say in the opening, jocular? Yes. Jocularity! Jocularity, yes, very good. The other thing about this is it's not an evil scientist this is a very true grisly crime story. It's very real. Again, a throwback to early shadows, but when you're dealing with something that could possibly happen, it gets a little uh, uncomfortable and unnerving. That was another interesting thing about this episode. I had a slightly different take on it. Well, some of the other shadow episodes, you will encounter one or two distinctly odd characters, but other than them, most people are kind of normal. Mm -hmm. And this episode, I thought everyone they meet is wacko. Everyone's <laughs> nuts. God, that is so true. I particularly like Poindexter. I have never heard another episode of The Shadow with that character in it. And supposedly he's in about 10 scripts by Frank Kane. And I didn't do enough research to see if those other scripts exist, if those are lost scripts. But his affectations and mannerisms, along with his heavy drinking, reminded me a lot of Rembrandt Watson from Candy Matson. Yeah. The sophisticated criminal drunk. <laughs> Gosh, I didn't I even think about that. You're so right. I kept thinking the whole time of like, wow, that is a life-ruining level of drinking you're undergoing there. But I admire him a little bit for it. I was like, wow, you can <laughs> yes. really serve a function and hold your liquor. Yeah. <laughs> Just his little throat clearing every couple sentences before he gives them more information. <laughs> I want to go back to that point that we were making about the shadow in this episode, screwing with everybody. I really <laughs> like that idea that, hey, the dead people are coming back to life. It yeah. had a very telltale heart moment for me. Yeah. Their guilt was helping them to believe that that was possible and very quickly. Yeah, it was nice with the sound of the footsteps. And for that moment, I think I was wondering, are we hearing what they're imagining in their head? Just like in the telltale heart. And then right. so I thought it was a great moment when there's the pounding on the door and open up and you realize it's the police. Well done, Shadow. It's exactly what I was thinking. Are we hearing what's in their head? And, you know, nevermore. And it's not for the police telltale heart. I know. I just wanted to watch you get mad. <laughs> If the police had been running late, he'd have to kind of vamp about these undead things for a while. <laughs> I think they're coming halfway up the stairs now. <laughs> yep. I think I hear their cars coming. <laughs> <laughs> Are those dead people sirens I hear? <laughs> well, that begs the question, why were the cops coming up from the basement? <laughs> I don't think they were coming from the basement. I think that was all a spontaneous thing on the shadows part that went, oh, perfectly timed. I can screw with these people now. I right. hear the police approaching and I'm going to make them think it's coming from the basement. I'm going to take it a step further. And I think that the shadow is actually making the footsteps because you can't see him doing it. And, <laughs> oh, and it wasn't the police that they were hearing. They were just it's outside. It's just him. Open the door. It's the police. 
Correct. We know he can throw his voice from other episodes. Why right. couldn't he be a master of Foley as well? Yeah. He's super fast. Yeah. He can he throw can his clouds, voice. He clouds men's minds so they can't see his sound equipment. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant was he went over to the staircase and was like stepping up and down on the stairs. Do you get what I'm saying? Please oh, yes, I, okay. I do. I just wanted you to paint the picture. Of- <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to watch me struggle. Yeah. You guys don't get me. I'm the shadow and you're those two old people right now. <laughs> <laughs> just impressed the police could find parking on Doom Street. <laughs> right? Any last thoughts from anybody? I, I have to say I love the commissioner in here and how he's convinced that these multiple disappearances of young girls are just a coincidence or maybe just a string of suicides that don't really bother him. Yeah. <laughs> he just and finally decides, okay, there's probably too many coincidences. But sure, rich guy, I'll give you a couple hours to solve it yourself. <laughs> Cranston is the de facto commissioner of the police department. <laughs> he sets the agenda. <laughs> He closes the cases. I got the vague impression that the the commissioner was just pro forma. I have to say something to deny that there's something to this. And if we could see him, his eyes would be rolling and his hands would be in the air of like, I don't know. I don't care. You know what's happening. I just have to lie to you. (laughs) So so that you'll go out and fix it? Right. Yes. (laughs) Right. You're so right, though, Joshua. It's just they've become so lazy by this point. Go, Oh, Shadow, will you please solve this one, too? I've got tickets to the theater tonight, and I'm super busy. There's some great wigs. (laughs) (laughs) Full circle. Now I'm reimagining the entire scene with the commissioner talking to the Shadow wearing this ridiculous woman's wig. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... We're oh, stumped. it's just a coincidence. Don't worry about it, Shadow. <laughs> Nothing going on here. But if you do find the wig people, don't destroy <laughs> the evidence. Here's my last thought. I was really taken back by the intermission educational commercial. <laughs> oh, my um, God. It was an odd moment where I listened to that whole thing, and this is what I came away Basically, what they're saying is the right kind of education is important without saying exactly what the right kind of education is, other than dictators like Hitler also had public mandatory schools, and look what happened. So consequently, we're not sure what, they don't tell us what the right kind of education is, but be careful. It better be the right kind of education. I think it's a call to be involved in the public education system and make sure your voice is being expressed as to what it teaches and that it's not completely handed over to the government, that it is a democratic service for all of our children. Unless uh, but you're yes, Hitler, in which case, Hitler. stay out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kept trying to figure out who paid for this? Like, where is this? Whose ad is this? It doesn't seem like, is it a public service announcement? I think so. All of them are, because I think it's kind of jarring at the top. We get this very somber PSA calling for food donations to help devastated areas in the important work of post-war reconstruction. And it sets this really real world tone. And then immediately we're dropped into this pulpy world where old people are murdering young women to harvest their hair. And it's kind of jarring. Yeah. Like in Austria. (laughs) It just seems weird to me that the government would pay for a public service announcement that says, you better watch us closer. (laughs) (laughs) I think Russian bots went back in time to 1948, and clearly that's who did that PSA. (laughs) Or that was uh, written by committee of, we can't say this, we can't say this, and we can't say this. So let's just say nothing. Let's just say democracy good. 
dictatorship bad. We all love our kids. Good night. It is very vague. It's so vague that it seems like there's a coded message in it. And today <laughs> seems sinister, like it's some kind of dog whistle or something almost. I don't think that's what it was meant to be, but yet I can't tell you what it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's send this thing to a vote. Uh, eeny, meeny, miny, Tim, you start. <laughs> More or less remain the uh, the shadow neophyte and probably will remain that forever. But now being a little bit more experienced in the ways of the shadow, I loved this. I loved this to bits. It, it had a lot of the stuff that I, I love from Norson Wells about the ambiguousness of what he can do and why he does it other than just because it's fun to be mean and that it's this weird hybrid of noir story and fairy tale. Like I said, the actual story of it just kind of plods along in a okay sort of way, but the atmosphere is fantastic. I'm going to agree with everything Tim said. Take it a step further. I like everything about this episode a lot, but what I love about it is the characters, the grisly true realness of the story. The crime, so to speak. It's not uh, mad scientists taking over the world, like I said. It's it's something that is plausible. And I love all the characters. I love everything about this. The only thing I don't like about it is actually the shadow himself. <laughs> the shadow is unnecessary to this story. We just had uh, a story about people who kill young women and take their hair. And then they think <laughs> that they're coming back to life. Oh, and, sure. and it's the cops. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you pull a shadow out of there, still it's a good story. Just saying, he's not necessary. It was really, really fun. I really loved it. Shockingly different from the Brett Morrison era of The Shadow. So I loved it and stands the test of time. I'm willing to admit to listeners that your mileage may vary when it comes to The Shadow. I fully acknowledge that the plots are mostly implausible. Uh, there aren't a lot of surprise twists. The Shadow always wins. So, I mean, with a lot of other shows, we often criticize a formulaic structure. But for me, what elevates it above other formulaic, square-jawed, superhero-type radio programs like the Green Hornet and the Lone Ranger is that really strong pulp aesthetic of the little character details, as you guys both mentioned, and the slight variations in both formula and genre. And this one checks all those boxes for me big time with the pulpy title and premise, the colorful characters like Poindexter, as I mentioned, and the genre mashup is actually really fascinating in that it is essentially taking a surprisingly modern serial killer type character in the form of the two old people and plunking them down in a more crime murder for profit type of standard shadow plot. And it just makes it far more exciting to me. Is it a classic of old time radio scripts? No, but it might be a classic shadow script to me. Wow. That's actually yeah. saying a lot. I wouldn't call it a classic of shadow. Okay. No, I think there's a lot better ones. I wasn't turning it into a fight, Eric, but if you want to fight. <laughs> Why not? It's all we do. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can comment on episodes. You can uh, vote in polls. Let us know what you thought. You can send us messages. You can let us know if there's other episodes you'd like us to listen to. We will add those to our list. And there's links to our social media pages. You can check us out on Facebook or Instagram and see other people who like us. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. You get a members only podcast, Cliffhangers of Doom. We are currently listening to The City of the Dead by Adventures by Morse. Um, you also get access to our Park Square Zoom shows. Speaking of which... Come and see us live on your computer, so to speak. 
our shows, our live shows are uh, for Park Square Theater are now uh, done uh, via Zoom, where we are doing recreations of old-time radio shows. Actually, we're doing original work. That's what we're doing now. We're writing original stuff. Go to parksquaretheater.org. You get your ticket. We've reduced the ticket price. Our next show is coming up June 15th, I believe, of 2020. Uh, and we're doing uh, some literary adaptations. The first one we're doing is by Tim Uren, which is called The Great God Pan by Arthur Machen. And Joshua is doing The Adventure of the Egyptian Tomb by Agatha Christie. So we will be recording those and then going into studio and putting that production together. And then when you join us, we'll play that production that we recorded for you and then also join you live for the intros and the Q&A afterwards. Once again, this is parksquaretheater.org. Please join us and listen, just like old times. Gather around your computer and listen to an old-time radio shows, a couple of original pieces of work. What's coming up next? Next, we have another listener request. We will be hearing Border Town from Escape. Until then... To keep our system of public education democratic and strong. Tell me how to get to Sesame Street.